0: special extra wonderful cyberpunk 2077 episode of normandy fm we're here to talk about the world of night city as always it's eric van allen one of your co-hosts alongside Kenneth shepherd ken how you doing
1: i was gonna make a joke with some of the slang they use in this game but i forgot all of it it all fell out of my brain as soon as you asked how I was so you, you forgot about the ripper
0: docks and the bds i, and- I was
1: thinking more like we we need to Nova through this podcast. Or is that that is that what it's used? Is Nova it's, to leave? There's like
0: yeah, you, there's like Nova. Um, Judy says Chumba at some point, and I'm still not sure what that's supposed to mean. Is I think that like Chum, friend, Chum, pal? Yeah, like
1: friend, pal. Like Chum, and it's also used like aggressively. So like in the same way that you call somebody like it's not your friend, your friend. Oh,
0: oh, huh. So it's kind of you know. Well, it's like choo-choo, like a train, because I choo-choo-choos you, can <laughs> Well, <laughs> uh,
1: Welcome
0: yeah. to episode 2 here. Yeah, episode two. We're already brain poisoned. That's just what happens when you decide to do an entire season about Cyberpunk 2077. If you're tuning in and you're not sure what we're up to, we are Norm D.F.M. We are a retrospective podcast, and this season we are covering Cyberpunk 2077. We were already one episode in and we talked a little bit about our origins and how we started out in this world. And this so this episode we we specifically designated as the Act 1 side quests. We have since fudged it a little bit and I think this is going to be a trend moving forward, so I think it's best we get this out there now. Um there are aspects of this game that are kind of nebulous, let's say, and don't always conform to what we would describe as a standard plot progression. Uh, I think one good example that's going to happen way later is that the series of phone calls and conversations and choices that end up deciding which ending you're going to get in this game all kind of happen in a span of time and have different permutations and things like that. So the side quests will cover side quests. We will be talking specifically about side quests, but we will also in this episode be talking about the Maelstrom and Evelyn Parker missions, because even though they are necessary to progress the main story of Cyberpunk 2077, they're also, we felt they fit best here and better to discuss here as kind of part of the more open side of cyberpunk. And then when things narrow down into the heist, that will be all of the heist episode. That also gives us more time to chat about the heist with our lovely guests that we have coming on. Uh, It should be a good time there and we don't want to have it be a too packed of an episode content wise. So it really, really feels good. And this also gives us because act one side quests are are pretty slim, some time to kind of talk about, The world of cyberpunk because this is a thing that i think we probably would have struggled to fit in anywhere else Mm. uh and make it feel natural and so this is a good time to just kind of talk about night city and one of the things i definitely want to bring up is something that ken and i were discussing even before this podcast episode uh ken Mm -hmm. you are finding yourself playing this game quite a bit
1: like, more than the amount that we need to play for each episode. Yeah, as of this recording, I'm about five episodes ahead in terms of actual playtime of what we're doing. And I decided to take notes. Like, I, I cranked out, like, several hours of this game over the weekend. And what I felt like I wanted to play more, but I was like, okay, I can't keep getting so far ahead because this is not, comparatively speaking to other games that we have done for Normandy, it's not a game that I know as well as, like, Ten 2 or, like, because I remember that we both played Mass Effect 2 in span of, like, a week. But I also knew that game. But, like, the back of my hand, so, like, it wasn't really something I was worried about, kind of, you know, recalling as we are going. So I was like, okay, I need to pump the brakes a little bit. I'm getting too far ahead. And, yeah, I just have been finding myself drawn to this game a lot. Which is kind of surprising, but also kind of not. Because, like, as I said last, last episode, I have a very kind of, like, rosy image of this game in my head. And granted... As far ahead as I've played, I'm starting to get the point to the parts where I'm like, oh, right, this is why I had problems with this game. But, uh, yeah, I, I feel like if I were not stopping myself, I would be very inclined to just keep playing this game and get, just get to the end.
0: So I'm, I'm curious, Ken, we're going mm-hmm. to have this discussion here live for the podcast mm-hmm. audience. I, I made sure we held off. <laughs> <laughs> um, you are a notorious open world disliker. Mm-hmm you historically on this podcast even have not wanted to play games including the witcher 3 wild Hunt and fallouts uh really any of the fallouts uh would you say that deus ex is kind of in that realm for you as well i know that deus ex is not quite open world but i'm trying to list off games that do things that i feel cyberpunk does Mm. because i think the conversation we had and that I ended up posing as kind of a question to you going into this, I would like you to answer for now Mm, mm, mm. (laughs) is, uh, what is it that cyberpunk is doing for you when there are many other games that I feel do what cyberpunk does? And I would personally argue those games do them better. Mm. So I'm I'm curious about what it is that is drawing you in about cyberpunk that does not draw you in about those other games.
1: I. It's something that I think even felt, like, with the other open world games that we have done on the show, which is, like, Dragon Age Inquisition, Mass Effect Andromeda, is, like, even though those games are, you know, structurally, they're open world bullshit, they're things that I do not, like, you know, mechanically, systemically really engaging with, I think what drove me to finish those games and to get invested in them in the way that a lot of open world games don't is, like, I think it does often just come back to, like, is that a world out are those, like, characters that I, like, care to exist in the shoes of... And I think, despite all my, like, various problems that we will get into with Cyberpunk 2077, I think that is kind of why the game resonates with me in the way that it does, and why I'm feeling drawn to it. Like, you know, fully accepting it for what it is in a way that I think the first time I played through, I feel like I, I was more, I guess I was more, like, hesitant to feel invested in it and mm-hmm. be actively engaging with it in a lot of the ways that like I'm, I'm doing for the show and will be doing just kind of as we go through and like are trying to kind of go through every little corner and nook and cranny of this game for the show. I think it's kind of what it is for, about Cyberpunk that works for me is that I think I don't like Night City per se as a setting, but I do feel, I think, a sort of connection to it and a connection to my character as V that I like being in this world for that reason. And I think, you know, like, a lot of that is, you know, you this big city setting compared to something like Fallout where it's just, like, this fucking desolate wasteland that I don't feel any connection to. And here, like, as V, I have, you know, this connection to the city not necessarily as something that I... Again, again, not necessarily something that I'm interested in on, like, a like a lore level, but more just kind of, like, an a thematic sense, I guess. You know? Uh-huh.
0: I can I can understand that, yeah.
1: Yeah, like, being this guy who's, like, a relative nobody that wants to be somebody in, you know, this huge city. And also, like, you know, and this is kind of like an aside thing, it's like, I think there's something about, like, this game, even though, like, I have, again, like, various problems that we won't go over, it's like, there's something about the way that V is able to exist in this world. Kind of, like, honestly, like, as a gay man, in a way that I don't mm-hmm. feel like I get in a lot of other RPGs just because, like, the settings are, like, so asynchronous with, like, real life. I guess, you know, again, like, it's, it, like, compared to something like Fallout. Like, okay, I have this character who, like, can be in a romance with another man, but, like, in terms of, like, city life and connections mm-hmm. with other, like, queer people. Like, you know, we're going to talk about a character in this, in this episode that um is one of, like, my favorite characters in the game, and, like, I have, like, this, you know, this idea of, like, a healthy queer friendship in that, and also just, like, fashion. And, you know, the, the various things in this game mm-hmm. that I think... Mm-hmm appeal to me as things that I maybe lack in my own life. And not necessarily, you know, Mm. that's, you know, a larger conversation about, like, what I think has ultimately made me connect with Cyberpunk 2077 in a way that I think is probably best held off on until, like, there's a very specific episode. Which, you know, again, to bring it back to the character that we're going to talk about uh, this week, that at the end of Judy's uh, side quest line, there's a quest that is kind of, like, all about, like, having a connection to a place and the people in it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I think that like very personal element is what brings me like like elevates Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven uh above games that probably are like, you know, mechanically, systemically superior. Just because like I feel like I have a connection to this setting and his character and the stories that he passes through more so than uh-huh. something that anything that Bethesda has ever offered me or even Deus Ex, because, like, you know, that is, there's a wall there between me and Adam Jensen. Like, I'm not right, I'm not right. that guy, and I don't really... You know, th- there are choices in that in that game, but, like, you're not really projecting, like, this sort of um, part of yourself into it, like, you know, this, this sort of internal investment and role-playing that uh, I feel like I get out of Cyberpunk, even though, mm-hmm. again, like, I, I keep repeating like, I have a lot of problems with this game that we'll get into, but I think that, like, honing in on that and, like, that aspect of playing the game... Is I think what has given me the rose-colored glasses for this game that uh, has persisted for almost two years at this point. And so, yeah, I think it, it's kind of the same that, Again, like the same thing that I felt with Mass Effect Andromeda and Dragon Age Inquisition. It was more about, like, those games gave me something to be invested in beyond, like, the mere act of playing them, which I think is what a lot of mm-hmm. open-world RPGs kind of, like, expect. It's like, okay, we're going to give you this giant world that you can play in and, you know, make all these decisions about your character build and... You know, making these like grand, sweeping decisions about, you know, different factions and you know whether you just want to go to this place and like just randomly kill people because you can because you're the player and you can exist in this world and do whatever you want. Where Cyberpunk just feels grounded in a lot of things that I really like about RPGs in general, and also like for all the reasons I said, like even not even open-world RPGs, but like you know more contained stuff like the Mass Effect trilogy. Like my Shepard existed as like you know an extension of me. In about as much as, like, he he could in the setting of the Mass Effect trilogy, which is, you know, galactic Space War, epic. But here at Cyberpunk, like, a lot of it's just very grounded in ways that feel, like, I'm kind of, like, writing a story of something that just feels more personally grounded than most RPGs do. So, that's my long way of saying, I I just feel very invested in the game on a more, like, grounded, personal level with the character that I'm making. I think that's just kind of why it works for me.
0: Well, I, I'm glad you brought it up because it was it's something that's been simmering in the back of my mind about this too, and especially as as you were talking about it, I was trying to think in my mind. I was like, okay, you know, well, Fall of New Vegas does have really interesting like queer characters in it. You think about characters like Arcade Ganon, and yeah, his name is Arcade Ganon, and it's actually kind of awesome. <laughs> but um, it's it, it also like I'm glad you brought up this idea of like. The, the lived experience and I think a very important distinction for us to make here is that there are a lot of games that let you role play and a lot of games that let you role play as characters who might have a certain sexual orientation or or even like if we want to get even weirder like you know you, you there 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 were games for a long time where you could not play as whatever gender you wanted and and then gradually you got to the point where you could play as whatever gender you wanted but something about mass effect and and cyberpunk and even games like i don't know there's there's a level of social art role playing that is involved in them mm-hmm. that isn't just about action mm-hmm. you know it's it's not just the decisions that you make that Change combat, or change your attire, or change um, big story decisions, or your player avatar. But it's also just about decisions that define how you exist in the world, mm-hmm. and and the the things you do, and and the way you perceive them. And I think of games like, you know, Shadowrun is a good one. That is another excellent cyberpunk role-playing game. But it would be hard to have a lived experience in the way that you have in cyberpunk. And even though I'm thinking about games that do cities better, that do all like, like just a list of things mm. that, that do all those things better. It is hard to think of one that does them all as much as cyberpunk does. And that's the thing that I keep taking away from cyberpunk. The more and more I play it is that this, this game tries to do everything, yep. everything, everything, yep to arguably i'm not even gonna say arguably to a fault Mm -hmm. it does try to do everything to to the point where a lot of its systems i think honestly end up feeling incredibly half-baked or or underbaked or i mean we're gonna talk about one of them that do you ever brain dance again after this i can't remember are there Uh... other brain dances you can do did i miss them in the quest there's
1: I know there's one because I've, I've already played enough to it, but like you know, what we'll talk about it, like every time you go out and buy a brain dance, all of them say not compatible with your software. Like that's yeah. like in the item description. Yeah. It's like weird that those things exist. Like almost like and you know again we can we can speculate all we want. But like it almost feels like there was something that might have been like in development and then they just kind of like kept them in there as like these, you know, these this flavor text that you can buy and like actually pay in game money for and. Yeah, like, you know, there there's a lot of speculation about, about, like, things that might have been cut or, like, shifted around and changed uh, with this game. Largely based on demos that CD Projekt Red put out that, like, it had things that were no longer actually in the game when it finally launched. Mm-hmm, and, um, mm-hmm. yeah, th- that does feel kind of like, broadly, the game was, like, had... And, you know, to some extent, like, I think there's almost an interesting... Thing about the game, like when you're talking about like all these systems that it has that it, when it's trying to emulate games like Grand Theft Auto, and I think like there's almost like a meaningful element to like actively avoiding those things, and you know we'll talk about it when we talk about like, you know Night City as a place uh, that like I don't know it, it, it's interesting just talking about the things that the game tries to do or at least like projects that it is doing when that is not actually the case, and you know. It, Leaves you, leaves a lot to wonder about, you know, what what this game could have been. I think if it had been willing to scale back a lot of that stuff, because because mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. it actually serves the game and has been put
0: here. It it weirdly, in a lot of ways, Cyberpunk reminds me of a Kickstarter game. Mm. You know, when you play a Kickstarter game and you're like, wow, there are a dozen things here. I I played The Good Life uh, last year, mm. which was a Kickstarter game, and uh I was playing through it and I was just like, There's so many things that you can do in this game, but the second you try to do them, they are all, you know, I described as like a wide, wide lake, like a big lake, but it's like an inch deep. Mm-hmm. And it feels like a in, in some ways there is a game here, and then there are just bullet points strapped mm-hmm. onto it because they sound really good. They 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 read well in marketing. There's something that you can highlight. You can be like, yeah, you can do this in Night City. Mm-hmm. And then when you actually do it, it's it's not linked into the game in any meaningful way, or it's something you do once and then you're done. And there, there's a lot of stuff in here like that. Uh, I think one interesting thing to start off with, in terms of the actual side quests, uh, that I think we should probably get out of the way now. Uh, one of the side quests that you can access in Act 1 uh, stars a prominent YouTuber uh, Jesse Cox and is all about how this this one this one dude in Cyberpunk, is like dick's on fire, mm. he's flaming flaming dick man. Uh, <laughs> he's uh, oh it's a real bad time. Uh, just got a defective penis implant and and it hurts real bad. So you got to get him to a Ripper Doc and. Mm. This is, um, I mean, when, later on when you get the call, the the game literally says "flaming crotch man." Mm-hmm. Um, there's just is is something like this. I mean, this is like Borderlands, right? This is something yeah. you would a hundred percent expect from Borderlands. Uh, yeah, but I I want to bring this up not just because it's like, oh hey, they did a one off quest with a youtuber there are several of these in there um there's one with uh former former ign writer uh alana pierce who i believe is at playstation now um Mm. there's there's one with uh carnage who is a twitch streamer uh there's some other famous uh social media people or or youtube streamer people that are in various advertisements and things like that uh
1: grimes and a quest later. yes
0: yeah yeah Grimes is in there um there's there's someone else that is actually in the game as a like oh the the creator of cyberpunk uh is is an NPC at one point uh you, you know it, it was it cameos mm-hmm. you know and, and it's not the first game I mean death stranding did this obviously but uh the, the thing I want to bring up is actually not even just about like, oh, ha, ha, they, they did cameos, celebrity cameos. Honestly, like, whatever. Do mm. those. I don't give a shit. Um, the weird thing that it touches on is the tone of Cyberpunk's mm. world, which is just all over the freaking place. Yeah. It, is, it is both Borderlands and Super Serious and trying to deal with heavy topics and trying to do like snarky ha-ha fun jokes Mm-hmm. And and it has advertisements which require content warnings, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's and, and does not provide them whatsoever. You know, take that as you will. Um, it's it is so all over the place in Night City yeah. that it just feels like I don't like like there's just noise everywhere right. in the city. And I mean that can be an effect if you want to go for that effect, but. I'm not sure that it goes for anything other than, like, oh, man, the the future is so, right. everyone's so out there and future. They're, they're right. all, like, oh, they, they don't care. Everything's hyper, hyper everything, hyper violence, hyper sexualization. Like, that's, and yeah. it doesn't really do much with that.
1: And it, it comes back to what I was saying, like, like you know, in the last episode. is that, Like, had this game been a more contained thing? And, like, you know, like, I, I think about, you know, the plot beats of the main plot. And, you know, maybe, like, to the, to some extent, like, the, uh, you know, the romanceable characters have their various side quests. Like, I feel like a lot of that feels, to some degree, coherent in terms of tone and mm-hmm. theme. Where you go, like, you go into a lot of these side quests, and, you know, it goes from things that are, you know, very serious, and, like, you know, trying to, like, talk about some issue that, you know, it, that exists in Night City and is, to some degree, a reflection of our world and all that. But then you get to things like this that are, like, you know, it it gets close to Borderlands, and it almost feels like a GTA thing as well. But it also like the humor of this game is like kind of all over the place and doesn't really feel as like you know coherent. And I don't know, like it, it's. I didn't laugh during this this quest because I don't think it's really funny. It's kind of, you know, a, a guy is yelling because his dick hurts, and okay. I
0: feel like I feel like the humor is almost intended to be like, oh, ha, it's it's this YouTuber I know and his dick's on fire. Like, that's, I feel like that's intended to be the joke more than anything else. Because I will say I did not play this quest the first time around. I actually didn't play the quest this time around. I had to look it up afterwards because I mm. uh, missed the the go signal for it. Um, and just did not play it before this thing um, so I, I literally just like watched it is a very short little quest so I just read up on what it is before we got in here mm-hmm. uh, but I've done the I'm pretty sure I've done the carnage guys uh, quest and I know I've done Alana Pierce's quest because it's like out in the middle of nowhere and you just like do something with a car and then leave and all of them felt very much like oh look this person is in this game like, that was like a the appeal of the
1: quest. And that's, yeah. That, you know, is interesting context because, like, I didn't know that this guy was a YouTuber. Like, I I did not know this guy before. So maybe that's why it just completely went over my head. And that's like, because, and that's like, I don't, I, okay, like, I'm not, like, making any commentary on this guy's content. I don't know what he does. But, like, that's one of the things that's like, who, oh, there's almost a question of, like, who is Cyberpunk 2077 for? And, I think... It's for everybody, Ken. It's but, for everybody. And I, that's the thing. is like, it, it feels like it tries to hit on so many different audiences and topics and mechanics that it's, like, trying to talk to everybody all at once without really taking into account how that, that affects, like, the broader cohesion of the game that you're putting out. Because so, this just feels like a very, like, weird sidestep for me when I, when I got to it. I was like, this doesn't feel like it's really connected to anything. Not that every, like, side quest needs to feel like it's like it's you know coming back to something but it does, it just felt like I, I felt like I stepped into a free game by the point by that mm-hmm. point and I I don't know if it was Grand Theft Auto I don't know if it was Borderlands but it was it did not feel like the same game that I was in when I got to you know the stuff that we're going to get to with Evelyn in a bit
0: and and the weird part of it is I I don't know where like the desire to do this comes from because I think if if you look at something like say Skyrim or or you look at something like you know Fallout those games you how well they do it is is up to you but they they do their thing like they they mm. do what they want to do and they they have their open worlds and they have this level of malleability and yeah you can like randomly like attack citizens on the street if that's what you yeah. want you can do that in cyberpunk you can do that i mean the way they do it in cyberpunk feels a lot more like grand theft auto than it does skyrim right because it feels way more uh oh you attack civilians because you just want to get a higher wanted score and mess around with the cops whereas like in skyrim it's much more oh you want to steal from somebody or maybe in fallout uh you want to you get mad at an NPC and you just want to blow them up and see what happens. And if it's fallout three or four, they just get back up. And if it's fallout new Vegas, they actually die. And the story changes. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. This is not the fallout new Vegas, <laughs> Vegas season. Well, <laughs> it's funny that like, but,
1: you, well, God,
0: Oh, I, I'm saying that like, there's this weird desire of cyberpunk to want to be everything. Mm. And I don't know why that desire exists when, you can be Skyrim and still get mass appeal. You can be GTA and still get mass appeal, but it's, it almost feels like cyberpunk is not content to just be a cyberpunk version of, of grand theft auto or a cyberpunk version of Skyrim. It has to be a cyberpunk version of everything. It has to be all of these games. And it just has almost this incessant hunger to want to be everything That a game can be. Mm -hmm. uh, Which is weird. Because I also feel like it's lacking major things. That make those games. Feel so interesting. Uh, One notable thing is. As far as I can tell. and, And granted I've played through this game. A pretty significant chunk. Once and I'm now playing through it again. I've not found any like. Mini games. Per se. I've found things that you can do. That are like simulacra. Of uh of like real world things like you can do boxing and you can mm. do other things like that uh there is one mini game that we'll talk about here in this episode i mean we could just talk about it now there's the hacking thing that you do that is honestly one of the most boring hacking games i've ever seen in my life uh and that's saying something uh it's really it's really dull, and there's also no tension because you basically are given all the time you need to solve yep. it before you actually have to do it. So you just have to like remember your inputs and then just go. Uh, so it's not even a very difficult hacking mini game, and makes me regret
1: every point I've ever put into hacking. But... Hey, I mean, like there's some effective abilities in that,
0: but yeah, no, no, no. When we talk about combat, we'll talk about that. But yeah. in terms of like any talent points spent in getting extra time for hacking or whatever, is a completely wasted point uh it's there's no like people doing things in this world uh, mm. i i was i was playing final fantasy 14 the other night and i was just walking around while i was waiting for a duty queue to pop and there were people sitting there hitting training dummies and there were people playing cards on a nearby table and there were people doing things mm. and the more and more time i spend in night city the more I realize the most civilians in this game exist in a state of either walking or standing still. And that is all yeah. I have seen civilians do in this game. And, and sometimes they will say something as you walk by. Right. That's about it.
1: And that's, like, one of the weirdest things about... So, okay, I, I'd I, beaten this game before, you know, obviously before the next-gen version came out. And it was a weird thing watching that original presentation where they're like, oh, we added, like, you know, r- different permutations to the AI of civilians mm-hmm. that they might mm-hmm. shoot you back mm-hmm. if you start shooting at them. I literally never processed that I could kill civilians in this game because I had mm-hmm. no reason to even consider doing that. And that was like the, what, the weird thing about that for me. And I think it kind of plays into some stuff I was talking about, like being a character who exists in Night City and like trying to have intent to the things that I'm doing at all times. It's like, why would I ever do that? Why, do, like, what does, reason does my V Ever have to attack innocent people, and I I've never heard like a person that's like role playing a character that like has ever explained why that feels in character. Like I've never heard any tangible benefit to it. And maybe
0: in Skyrim, you're like pickpocketing people and things go south or something like that. There's something to be said for that, but like yeah, the only game I can think of is Grand Theft Auto, where it, it feels like those games are tailor made to just be like I don't know, do stuff and see if it blows up. <laughs>
1: like- yeah, and. So, like, for, for me, like, the act of actively not doing that feels, like, meaningful in a weird way in, like, a role-playing perspective. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. you know, and I remember it, so, like, we talk about this in Inquisition. is like, I feel like just because something has been included in a video game, like, is there something that you can do or say? I think in Inquisition we were specifically talking about so, like, some of the uh, dialogue options towards Krem and, like, it gives you the option to, like, question his identity as a trans man and the act of not... Engaging with that is like more meaningful than than the act of doing it. I feel because Uh like it just Uh it speaks to your character and how like what they're you know how they view the world and how they view people to actively just not do that thing. And I think it's just that just becomes a lot easier when the game doesn't really feel like it has any incentivizing thing to make you do that. It just feels like a system that the game has because other games have it, not because it Uh has any sort Uh of actual grounding in the ethos of cyberpunk 2077 for you to just like pull a gun out and shoot a passerby that has, that has done and said nothing to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one last thing to hit on in terms of night city itself is that I, I do actually think I agree with your bullet point here, Ken, that like, I think night city is a good city. I mm-hmm. think the general design of the actual city is pretty interesting. There are specific environments that we'll get to. Like when we go to the, Uh, When we go to Lizzie's bar and all that, that I I think are just absolutely just really cool areas to Mm. go into. I think that's maybe my one biggest criticism of Night City in general is that I even if they were not interactable in any way, I wish that there were more places that I could just kind of go into Mm. and see and walk around in. Uh, that, that's like a very MMO desire. I Mm -hmm. think I like just places that I can move around in and exist in. I don't necessarily need them to be levels laid out for a dungeon or, you know, some sort of like combat encounter or something like that. No, I just would, you think about it in terms of there's a photo mode in this game and I feel like gradually as photo mode has become more and more prevalent, uh, I, I feel like designers are almost starting to respond by creating more areas that are just really nice areas to take screenshots Like photogenic in. places? Yeah, I, I felt it when I was playing Elden Ring, of all things, which does mm-hmm. not have a photo, mold, a photo mode by default. But Elden Ring has a lot of moments where it, it almost feels like the developer is telling you, like, hey, take a screenshot right. here. This place is real pretty. And it's not like FromSoft has never made a Vista before, but there are a lot of very defined Vistas that mm. you are basically funneled into in Elden Ring in various places. And I, I think about games like, you know, Ghost of Tsushima was another one where I felt that there were just a lot of neat little tucked away places that, f- that felt very photo mode hygienic, like mm. felt very... Uh, compatible with getting cool, interesting yeah. shots and all that. And cyberpunk. I, we we can talk a little bit about photo mode here. I I think it's a fine photo mode. I, there are some options that I really, really, really wish it had. Um, lighting is mm-hmm. a major one. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, it basically constricts you to only taking pictures from certain angles at certain times of the day and things like that. I wish there were lighting options. Mm-hmm. Uh, But otherwise, it is a pretty competent photo mode, definitely above some of the other ones I've seen before. Uh, But that's kind of what Night City is to me, is I do like it. I just wish that it was maybe not even denser, but just like deeper in a way. Uh, And I think the one thing I come back to with that is... There's a mod that, that someone had made a while back that lets you actually ride the trams that are mm. in, the like the train system, the metro that is in Night City, mm. which you cannot ride by default. Mm-hmm. And you just get on it, and it goes around a preset path, and you can ride it to the different stations and stuff. But I think that alone makes Cyberpunk feel so incredibly good. And it's a, it's a good city to walk around in. Mm-hmm. I really do feel like they thought about how someone would w- walk around the city mm-hmm. and, and move around in it. And I just wish that there was, like, a hair more thought put into, let's just have some nice places to, to take pictures and stuff like that. Little areas, little bars, little clubs, little alleyways. Uh, it does not feel like there's enough of that for me.
1: Yeah, I, I'm in a couple of months because, like, I, I do like the photo mode a lot in this game. Like, I, I agree that it's missing. I, I feel like after you play Ghost of like, no photo mode has ever really... Held oh. a candle to that sense.
0: Oh, Ken, let me tell you about G Pose in Final Fantasy 14 <laughs> the end game raid boss of photo mode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, because uh, like I, I, I spent a lot of time in photo mode in this game, and a lot of it's just like I'm, I'm, a very vain person, and my V is hot, so like I want to take pictures with mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. and get in all his outfits that I'm getting in. But mm-hmm. um, I think there's something said about like Night City feels like a city I could walk through. It does not. It feels like more thought was put into how do we make this seem like a, bel- a believable city more than how do we make this feel like a video game environment that people feel more inclined to actually like live in and like you know walk to and from places a lot because I, I feel like you know for, for my first playthrough very specifically I, I fast traveled everywhere and I'm, t- I'm trying to make it like a more concerted effort this time to kind of like walk to places like especially like, if it's you know in a reasonable distance um trying to like spend as much time actually within the city as I can to the mm-hmm. point. Cause like, I want to like, I want to actually know to some degree, like how to get to places on foot just cause like, I feel mm-hmm. like I did not get a sense of like direction when I was just using uh fast travel in the first time, because I'd, I never had any reason to, it was just like, okay, I'm going to find the closest purple icon on the map that will take me to one on the other side of the game. And I, I, again, like, I, I feel like there was more thought put into making Night City, like, believable in, like, a, like, you know, a, a functional city kind of way than caring about, like, what the player is actually going to do in the places in between the story missions, you know?
0: Right. Yeah. It's, it's just... <sighs> there, there, there's a sense of place that I do enjoy about Night City. Um... And I, I think as we get further in, we'll see more of it. Because I mm-hmm. think Act 1, we are very limited in what we yep. see of it, too. Um, so we might end up addressing this again when we get to the Act 2 side quests. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more then. But, yeah, overall, I think Night City is an interesting foundation, an interesting area. I just... The, the tone of this game is always going to be a problem for me. I'm just Mm. going to put that out there now. I I feel that way at the start of this podcast. I will probably feel that way at the end of this podcast (laughs) is that the, the tone in this world, the advertisements are a big one, but also just, I I say it again, like the NPCs, just I constantly come back to, I think about even games like Grand Theft Auto, which are not necessarily trying to do anything. I, I mean, profound with what NPCs are doing. And I'm not, that's not to disparage the work of rockstar devs who, who do frankly incredible work with their NPCs. But, you know, GTA is not trying to tell a story about, um, well, they probably, GTA five is telling a story about capitalism as is GTA four. So I guess I got to eat some crow here. But <laughs> <laughs> um, Like cyberpunk is also trying to do that sort of thing and it's not doing it. And right. I, I think there's a lot of games that manage to do this better and, and in Cyberpunk, especially, it's so focused on doing everything and having everything that a lot of stuff ended up falling by the wayside in the mm. process. And I just continually ask myself, like, was. I'm trying to find the things that felt like they were focused on and whether it feels like the trade off merited it. Right. And I'm not sure it does. But I do think there are moments in this section that we played that I was actually. Surprised by how well they came across mm-hmm. and, and how well they worked. Um, let's clear off some side quests really quick. Uh, we already talked about uh, Burning Dick Man, <laughs> uh, my favorite desert music festival. Uh, the gun is just a a thing that you basically get as you are walking out of V's apartment. Uh, a dude at a shop called Second Amendment has a gun that is waiting for you, and that's kind of your introduction to Hey, these are gun shops. You can buy guns here. And there's a firing range if you want to test out the guns, which is nice. I appreciate any video game that lets you go Mm -hmm. test out stuff before you go actually use it in the game. It's always nice. Um, The gun you get is... It's so weird. It has worse stats than than a gun you could have picked up in the previous mission. Mm -hmm. And I think the one benefit it has is that it does... Extra damage on headshots or something like that. So I did end up using this um, because I am elite gamer who only hits headshots. So uh, as Ken can attest, he's seen me play this game only headshots. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely no no knee, stomach, or dick shots in my game. <laughs> but uh, I, I credit where credits due, As Borderlandsy as it is, I think naming the store Second Amendment is enough on the nose it's the proper amount of on the nose Mm. uh especially given the climate that we are recording this in right now Mm. um i i looked at that and i was like you know what in whatever theoretical version of the future exists the idea of an on-the-corner gun shop that is run by some crazy constitutionalist asshole probably that's about right that mm-hmm. checks out <laughs> so you know what whatever uh i also did not really engage with this area it sounds like you did not either because yeah. I, I don't know i just picked
1: guns up off dead bodies in this game yeah <laughs> to be honest with that's you. yeah that's basically my thing as well it's because like, like, i didn't i generally didn't deal with a lot of the upgrade stuff in it because like you know you can upgrade guns and make the numbers go up but like it, never, it always feels like the game's loot is outpacing any upgrades you can put on anything. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like I'm trying to figure out like maybe like once I get some of the, the iconic weapons that come later because like I, I mentioned it before in the last episode there's a gun that you get from Carrie uh, at the end of one of these quest lines and I'm like, I keep that only for plot purposes. So like I, maybe I would look into upgrading that one and you know actually seeing what I can do with a gun that I actively want to keep and not just you know pass on for the next thing that I find that has a higher number. So maybe by the time we get to Act 3, I'll, I'll actually start, you know, messing with those.
0: I also, like, just frankly don't feel that the game ever challenged me enough to want to upgrade my guns. I feel like if I was using base level guns, I was still doing fine in just about every combat encounter outside of maybe a few bosses. Mm. Uh, I, I do not feel like this game is very challenging in the combat department, as mm. we will talk about later. Uh, so in general I just never really felt a need to upgrade guns or do stuff I was just kind of picking them up I, I have already instituted the rule of I don't even check something if I don't see a blue on it mm. like I have to see a blue I like not even greens get me to stop I'm like whatever <laughs> <laughs> move on to the next room um I can also do the gift which is kind of near a drop-off point for uh, the beginning of where we started mm. this 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 section. Which is also, if the gun was your intro to shooting uh, and that side of combat, uh, the gift is your intro to the other potential side of combat, which is quick hacking. Uh, it teaches you how to basically ping enemies on a network, well ping things on a network and locate access points, which is, uh, it's really just a way to find loot, and that's about it. Uh, I, I mean, I, I really I've been do... using it.
1: I've been using it to get like a sense of especially in, like, a stealth section, get a sense of where enemies are in a room. And, like, it's an interesting thing that the game does because, like, all the enemies that you're... And not even just the enemies, but, like, a lot of the electronics that you can hack, they're all on different networks, depending on, like, you know, the proximity to things. And so that's always, like, been an interesting sort of limitation that you have to work with in this game is that, like, you can ping things, but you can't ping, like, an entire building. Like, if you, you have to ping, like, a very small section based on what it actually connects to, the individual networks, and... You know, there are some quick hacks that you have that will affect everything that is on, like, one network. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. those those that's, like, an interesting li- limitation in the game design that, to me that, like, feels, like, both meaningful in the universe and also just, like, makes me have to be always kind of thinking ahead because, like, I could take out everybody that I can already see in this room because they're on this network, not realizing that, you know, a couple rooms down, if I were to, like, you know, open fire and like like they would hear me but they were on another network i wouldn't be aware of them and they could come in and i could be overwhelmed and just like little things like that are interesting to me and that's why i i actually didn't i don't think i actually got ping the first time i played this game Hmm. so as i am like trying to be like more conscious of my hacking build in this in this playthrough uh it's been like kind of invaluable to me at this point just because like i've Uh, been using it a lot it's kind of like one of my go-to like first thing that I do when I enter a combat area
0: yeah uh, I used ping a few times to just kind of scan a room and then uh the section I was in the the combat section in the maelstrom area I just it was already things were popping off so much that I just used my ram elsewhere and that's that's maybe one area of this game that I feel is very I, I come to grips with it a lot is just the the weird subdivision of hacking and ram and it feels like there are a lot of meters almost like you're supposed to have kind of a mana pool of quick hacks to use but Mm. then uh you're also supposed to game the system so that you don't really have to deal with that mana pool anymore which is what i'm gradually working on doing yeah uh and you know that is specialization in one way and we The further in we get, we can talk about character builds. I still don't feel like I'm at a place right now where I can really talk about character builds, but that's also because I feel like a lot of the character identity in this game is not very strong. Like, Mm. there doesn't feel like there's a wide swath of combat types I could build, because even though I am playing a hacker, I am still having to shoot a lot by virtue of just the way that the game is built and the way that these combat encounters are built. Mm So, yeah. overall, I, I just run into situations where I'm like, okay, there's there's interesting things happening here, but I am most rewarded by taking the path of least resistance at every turn.
1: I feel like a lot of the build stuff that I th- I think is most interesting is when it plays into like stat checks in dialogue and stuff like that more th- more so than it you know manifests in active like different ways that you get through like combat scenarios. Um, And we'll talk about some of those as we go through, because I am feeling both, like, very rewarded in, like, having put stuff in the points that... in the different point pools that I have, while also, like, feeling, like, fuck, if I had been specking in a different way, I could have gotten through without actually even having to engage in this fight at all. And some some of these things were, like, if I had been strong enough to just tear this door off its hinges and walk through this other side of the room, I could have gotten away from that. But, um... That uh you know that that doesn't necessarily again like manifest in things that are very different in terms of like the the moment to moment combat mm
0: mm-hmm. mm yeah i I feel like the main choices you're making in combat are either are you stealthing or are you shooting mm. and uh I'm shooting in this game i I played stealth my first playthrough, and it did not feel particularly rewarded especially narratively i i felt like i made a lot of intent to try and not be lethal and be stealthy and i felt like there was only one case in which it was ever acknowledged by the game that i was non-lethal uh and stealthy and that was the cyber psychos that we we forgot well it was the next thing we're going to talk about is that there are cyber psychos around town Mm. and and we can either take them out and get a bounty, or we can take them down non-lethally and bring them in and, and get them help. Uh, as we learn from, uh, Regina Jones who contacts us. Mm. Uh, I just don't engage with that side of the game at all. I'm going to be honest with you. No, that's fair. <laughs> no, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, I'm not crazy about, again, this is another thing where like, I, I think this game has issues with how it handles mental health mm. and how it handles, psychosis and uh it pulls a lot of the same things that the borderlands games do where they're like ha ha cyber psycho and things like that it's like okay cool we're we're talking about you know oh we probably shouldn't shoot everybody who's mentally ill (laughs) like that's Mm -hmm. great great message cyberpunk i mean
1: yeah i'm (laughs) interested to see how that plot line kind of wraps up because i i did a couple of them and I've, i've done a couple of them so far as far as i've played and a lot of the, the enemies that are like, you know, the cyber psychos are, you know, they are very powerful. So, like, there is a weird thing of, like, it doesn't feel viable for me to immediately go in and try and, you know... Because if you hit people with your fists, you don't kill them. Mm-hmm. But they have, you know, like, the life bar equivalent of, like, a boss. So I do have to shoot them to get them to, like, you know, there a sliver of like health There are also, like, hacks
0: that are non-lethal, like, there, there are things that you can do that are quick hacks that will non-lethally take out a character.
1: Mm, maybe I need to look into those.
0: Yeah, I think you start with one of them, or, or maybe you get it at some point, because I know I was using it in the Maelstrom area, because I walked up to an enemy that I thought I had hacked to death, and no, I just hacked them into uh, submission, mm-hmm. and, and then I shot them. <laughs> so... <laughs> uh, look i thought he was gonna get back up <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's tone again but it is it is a weird thing about all of this stuff uh is that there's just a lot of different points at which there are choices you can be making but well let's talk about we'll, we'll talk in maelstrom about choices and how we feel choices pan out because we're going to talk about evelyn parker first mm-hmm. let's talk about evelyn parker uh yeah before the a, game
1: just does her fucking dirty
0: yeah the the time when evelyn gets to really be a solid interesting character with so much promise <sighs> mm. oh god is it too early in the podcast to
1: start drinking <laughs> no i mean i'm drinking some soda so like that's why i call them alcohol so oh. <laughs> the,
0: Kenneth mm-hmm. Ken shepherd getting lit on some mm-hmm. uh some coca-cola right now or pepsi which one did we go for this I time? had pepsi today ah okay okay do you have a you have a preference right prefer i generally prefer coke but pepsi is uh-huh. you know
1: it depends on what restaurant i'm going to like if they serve one or yeah. the other so i'm like i'm good with either i'm not so like I, a, a, a i don't have an allegiance per se
0: i don't have an allegiance but i just i weirdly enough it's not even like i dislike i've 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 drunken plenty of diet Pepsis and, and such over the years. But uh, I find that if I'm in a restaurant and they're like, oh, you know, we don't have Diet Coke, we have Pepsi, I will usually then say, oh, I'll just have water then. Mm. Mm. And I don't know mm. what it is. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because I grew up drinking Diet Coke and, you know, that was pretty much mm. water to me when I was growing up. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, caffeine-free Diet Coke. We had a lot of that in my household, but uh yeah. Anyways, enough about Eric's past. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go see Evelyn. Uh, so I do agree with you. It does feel like a good place to start the sort of side quest for the heist because they very much frame this as like, "Hey, go get some info and all that." And also, like, things are probably going to pop off with Maelstrom, mm-hmm. so maybe do the easier task first. You know, take care of that first.
1: Yeah, since if you like the people you're working for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Um, we we head over to Lizzie's bar. Who in my in my life path, I've already been there once, and I get to mention that that mm. uh, I've I've been there before and all that. I know I know how it all goes down, but Lizzie's bar is uh, run by the Moxes. Moxes, right now, Moxies, Moxes. I always get confused with Mad Moxie, who's the, mox? the Borderlands. Singular? The Mox? yeah. Yeah, the mocks. Um, I get it confused with Mad Moxie, who is a mm. character in Borderlands. Who Damn, we're we just going to keep um,
1: referencing that fucking series. I mean, look,
0: they did it to themselves. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, the mocks run this bar. Uh, and as we learn from the bartender as we go inside and go to this meetup that we're going to have with Evelyn at the bar, uh, it's the mocks are essentially sex workers who unionized into mm. a gang
1: <laughs> and you know do, do look, what you gotta
0: do no notes great setup <laughs> honestly like
1: <but laughs> for it, it's, it's so weird like and we'll talk about this more extensively in a later episode like Cyberpunk has like some really solid ideas about like at least like, a, like as a foundation about like mm-hmm. how it feels about sex workers and how they should be protected but it, it's gonna go fucking off the rails for a minute Very soon. Not in this episode, but another one. Um, But yeah, like a a bunch of sex workers that made a gang to, you know, protect the sex workers in the city. Hell yeah.
0: Yeah, and and I I do enjoy that it is not a... Like, like it is essentially they form a union, except their enforcement is just the power of all of them together. um, Both denying services that the gangs would want to take advantage of for profit and also banding together with a bunch of fucking guns and shit Mm -hmm. because they're not, you know, they're, they are their own protection as well. And that's everything about is rad. And I think this is something that comes up a lot when you look at RPGs that are specifically based off of tabletop games, because you know, cyberpunk 2077 is based off the cyberpunk tabletop game you get a lot of worlds that have really fascinating, really incredible world building and lore to work with. And then it's a question of what did they do with that? Like how do they play in those spaces? Uh, I I was thinking about that a lot because I recently played Vampire Swan Song, which is in the Vampire, the Masquerade world. uh, And I think it actually did a pretty okay job Mm. of adapting a lot of those ideas and to his credit, I think Cyberpunk does adapt a lot of really interesting, cool things from the Cyberpunk tabletop game. And you know, on some level, we're going to have to start grappling with the actual context of those those mm. things. It includes things like the Voodoo Boys and even the Tiger Claws, which I think the Tiger Claws don't get as much um, discussion as the Voodoo Boys because the Tiger Claws don't play as prominent of right. a role in the story. Yeah, they're, um, they're not in the
1: main plot. They're always on the the side the side quest. We
0: we will probably be talking about that later on when we have some guests on, uh about the Tiger Claws, mm. uh, and also about the Voodoo Boys. There's a lot in this game to talk about at all times. Uh and even the is we the mocks we are looking at uh getting some folks on to talk about that. But uh I do from the outset here just dig the world building that we get to dive into and that kind of continues to play out as we meet Evelyn who is our client for this uh, heist that we are putting together and she begins to inform us about what the plan is and who we are targeting because as Evelyn gets to know us you know she first kind of gauges us at the the bar in what really feels like just a demonstration of how much time and effort they put into making really good-looking models mm-hmm. and, and getting, like, really good... Every time you have, like, a sit-and-talk scene right. with an NPC, it is ridiculously good-looking. Yeah, uh, Sometimes noticeably prettier than just hanging out in the open world. Yeah. You know, that is, that's video games. Mm-hmm. But uh, eventually she kind of gauges... Our, our temp and is like okay let's go to a back room and talk specifics yeah, before
1: we before we head back though there was uh-huh. something that um i want to talk about here like the bartender pours us some drinks and the game yes. yeah. always goes out of its way to let you choose whether or not to drink and i think um front of the show Rodney McLeod wrote about this uh for kotaku at the time um but like it's really nice that the game like gives you that opportunity to like say no to things in, in this uh-huh. universe. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's another thing that happens with, with the Maelstrom as well that we'll get to later where my I declined uh, some drugs and, you know, a chance to, like, hit this fucking vape that this guy had. And <laughs> I like that a lot because, one, like, it's just, you know, a solid thing to, like, let people choose to not engage with that, you know, side of things in the same way that they might not in the real world. But also, there's something very, because of plot points that we have not gotten to yet, I like establishing... V's autonomy with his mm-hmm. like what he wants mm-hmm. to do with his body and because that is something that he, he and you know that V will have to deal with later which I think it like as much as I, I think in any other context a lot of the, like forcing your character to do certain things would be very like upsetting to me in the same way that like we talked about you know, in the Mass Effect and Dragon Age seasons about, like, when it doesn't feel like the game is being considerate of what you as the player feel mm-hmm. about certain things, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. I feel like that tension and that, you know, discomfort is actually playing into the story that it's telling and plays into, you know, a dynamic that you're having with another character that, you know, again, we are putting a pen in until we get there. But, like, this is, you know, one of the one of the earliest examples of, like, well, I mean, even in the three Kid origin story, like, that starts out at a bar and before you, like, you know, you set your nose after you get out of that fight, you have the option to just take, like, take a shot and, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. give yourself some, you know, some a, a painkiller for what's about to happen. Um, yep. And I just like that it it's always an option. And, like, it always goes out of its way to let you define what your character does with things like alcohol, drugs, whatever, s- smoking. Um, like, those are always active questions that asks the player, is this something that you want to do? Rather than ever kind of, like, pigeonholing V into any of that. And so this was just, you know, another example of why I really liked what it did here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I like it because I'm also getting to see the ways in which we are defining our Vs differently because my V, she is absolutely like straight back tequila. Let's go. I, I hit the inhaler <laughs> as well in the maelstrom area. Like my, my V was a corpo and has moved on to a different life, was definitely used to a party hard, lifestyle Mm -hmm. and has maybe not moved on from that. And I think one of the smartest things you can do in any role playing situation is to provide ways in which the player has to think about how their character responds to certain things. Mm -hmm. And I think when you allow the player to do that and allow them the freedom to define those things, no matter how small it might seem, it makes your character feel like something you have direct control Mm -hmm. of. And that's not even just, you mentioned like, um you know it is something if you don't want to engage with that in real life you don't engage with it here but also just if you've decided that your character is not that way if mm-hmm. if for some reason like if you are playing a character a certain way and you know my my V is is straight edge or my V you know maybe drinks but does not you know mess around with hard drugs like those are options that cyberpunk opens up for you and when a role-playing game lets you make those decisions and has has them maybe not feel, you know, they're not meaningful in the way that, like, you know, not taking that shot of tequila doesn't mean that the Rachni aren't going to come back or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it does mean that in that moment, you have made a decision about who your V is and how they act in the world. And even if that's small, that's still a determination that they have made that the game is not made for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I like that. I like Mm -hmm. those moments. I actually think that that's a thing that cyberpunk does well Mm -hmm. uh, It has those little moments. So, um, even in, uh, the conversation that we have here, I had just so many corpo options Mm -hmm. because, uh, as, as we head back to the private rooms, uh, Ken's favorite place in Mm -hmm. cyberpunk 2077 Mm -hmm because um, <laughs> they're, they're just these like private rooms where a hologram of a naked lady is gyrating and you are trying to have this very serious conversation about the heist. It, you know, it is like flavor. It is lore. It is the world. But the whole time we were sitting there, I was like, you don't want to just like turn the hologram off so we can like talk? <laughs> can we... it's, it's... It's, it's only mildly distracting, but it is distracting.
1: <laughs> it, it's something that like, I'm noticing, like, as I'm playing further in the game, it's, like, the sex workers in this game, I mean, there are male sex workers in this game, but, like, in terms of the ones that you have to, like, see, it's Mm -hmm. always a woman. And if if you ever see a man, it is because you have taken, like, the option that it has given you to do it. And, you know, Mm -hmm. that's larger video game bullshit and, Mm -hmm. you know, the way that it often frames any of the shit. So, it's not surprising, but it's still just, like, it's it's just, like, I'm I'm sitting here and just, like, I'm trying to have a fucking conversation and, like, is this supposed to be distracting to me? Because I got news wow. for the people at this bar. It's not. Why am I not? Why am I not seeing
0: a, a masculine mox gyrating on my hologram while I'm trying to talk to Evelyn Parker? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, what? Why can I not flip through it like the radio station in the car? Right <laughs> <laughs> um, but. So we, we go back and we talk to Evelyn, and as we learn, the target of our heist is not even just the Arasaka Corporation, it is Yorinobu Arasaka, who is the heir to the Arasaka fortune. Uh, as we begin to learn, there's kind of a rift between uh, Yorinobu and uh, the father and current CEO, uh, Saburo Arasaka. And we are going to steal what Evelyn calls the relic from, uh, from your Nobu. And we begin to learn that this, this whole heist has basically been concocted as uh, Evelyn has been, uh, a- has taken your Nobu as a private client. Essentially your Nobu mm-hmm. has taken a shining to Evelyn and Evelyn is very much like, I I like that there are options at the end of this mission where you can be like, Hey, Evelyn, aren't you kind of like concerned that once this thing goes missing, uh, they're going to ask like what's going on and they're going to come looking for you. And she's very much like, they'll never, you know, they'll be talking to all the hotshot corpos Mm. and cutthroats. They're not going to be looking for a little doll like me. And she's very much like, I have been in the background my whole life and I'm going to take advantage of it because I see a shot and I'm going to take the shot. Um, very much lives with the theme of this game of how are you going to go out in mm-hmm. night city? And Evelyn has clearly decided that she is going to take her chance at, you know, being a legend and, and getting, getting hers while she can. Uh, and I respect that. I like that. Mm-hmm. I think that also makes me worried about the heist, but mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> it's, uh, and we're going to, we're going to be given a lot
1: more reason to be worried about it by the time this is over.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Evelyn also like very clearly, you know, points out that Dexter Deshawn is not the most reliable of fixers, or, or is maybe a riskier fixer. Um, definitely likes to take chances and is not a very cold, calculating, predictable type. Much more like a let's let's you know do it, let's let's try it, and you know maybe we all die, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the more we talk to her, I, I really enjoyed all the corpo information that i could get in this conversation Mm. of just learning about the different tensions learning about uh you know yorinobu wants to sell the relic to uh netwatch which is an ostensibly neutral almost kind of they're there it feels like they're implied to basically be like a governmental organization Mm. uh that is supposed to just be a peacekeeping force on the net but is maybe you know their involvement in getting something like this is very not neutral uh which is interesting Mm. uh it's just it's it's a cool setup i do Mm. think it goes on fairly long because i think it kind of repeats a lot of dialogue in in various places especially for me because uh it maybe doesn't want you to miss some information that would otherwise be locked behind Mm. certain life paths or anything and so it felt like my corpo stuff was more Flavor of info I was already learning,
1: but uh, right.
0: it was it was interesting.
1: Yeah, um, I, when I was watching you play, like I maybe I'm like completely just cause I, I feel like I would have taken notes on this, this specifically because I, I thought I heard your V and Evelyn talking about like the specifics of what the relic was in a way I decidedly did not because like, I like there's references to the secure your soul thing, which is a thing that, like a yes. little thing that we'll get to later, which I that is. That is a buzzword that I would have remembered hearing, and I did not as a three kid. Uh,
0: I think I got it because as I had a corpo option to uh, mm-hmm. mention it to Dex earlier, mm, and okay. uh, thus learned that information that way. But yeah, the uh, secure your soul thing does come up, and I was also surprised when that came up, because okay. uh, I was like, huh, I'm surprised they're talking about that here, right. and not later.
1: Yeah, I mean, um. it's, it's interesting, like, I mean, this is something I, I even mentioned to you, is, like, as I was playing through a lot of this stuff, is, like, I feel like between the two of us, like, picking Street Kid and Corpo, we have kind of picked the origins that are going to give us, like, the most decidedly different, and I guess, like, the widest vision of mm-hmm. this game yeah. in a way that makes the Nomad feel like a weird kind of third option, because, it, like, your origin is so disconnected from a lot of stuff that's happening in this game that it's, I, I would be curious just to see how more like, or like, I guess guess what the divide is between like three kid corpo nomads, like dialogue options. Like what is like the, the raw numbers of how many of those you actually get in the duration of the game, depending on which one you've done.
0: It it does change. Once we start doing things in act two, uh, more nomad stuff pops up, but it's prominently in missions surrounding nomads, like Mm. missions with Pan Am and things like that. Uh, I'm honestly surprised by the number of times I've gotten to use Corpo dialogue and I've used it every time I've had the option. Mm -hmm. Uh, And overall, weirdly enough, I got to say, I think now having seen Nomad, A Fairways Through, and I I have not done much Street Kids stuff, uh, but I really like the Corpo option. I, Mm. I really like all the Corpo stuff because I really think it's just, if you want the intrigue and the thriller corporate stuff like, like the actual mysteries of cyberpunk in the larger world and the deeper lore you get a lot of that through mm-hmm. corpo options yeah. and i'm really enjoying it because of that uh yeah which is weird because i think a lot of people uh when they first kind of saw the options they're like oh i'm not gonna be corpo what right. are you talking about i'm gonna be street kid i'm gonna be nomad like that's way cooler but Ironically, like, much like in Vampire Bloodlines, you know, playing the establishment does open up cool, interesting things that can happen, or playing something that is uh, maybe not what you would immediately go for. Like, I think going for Corpo, if, if you have not played it before and you're looking to play Cyberpunk again, I would heavily recommend it. It's pretty interesting and cool. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, Evelyn finally is, you know, is like, okay... I want to take you to what I I want you to see which is a brain dance of Konpeki Plaza which is the hotel that Yorinobu is staying at and where the chip is being kept. So as we learn Evelyn has brain dance uh hardware in her I, I, I installed I guess uh and she recorded this brain dance as she was visiting Yorinobu recently and uh, We're going to scan through it and figure out where the chip is and learn a bunch of info from it. Uh, so she takes us to meet a good friend of hers, Judy, and we meet our first major companion NPC of the game, Judy. Uh, Judy owns. Yeah, she, I don't know what.
1: I mean, she's, yeah, she's she one of the best characters in this game, and she like really makes like a a really solid first impression. And mm-hmm. I think just because like she is, I need to grant like what we're talking about here is not going to be like you know the meat of like what her story is but um she's already like and like I everyone's like she's a very cool calming presence and kind of kind of some similar to the way that victor was earlier is that like because mm-hmm. like even you know we just had this long conversation with evelyn and she's like very cold like does not want to like like give any more information than she has to but judy's just like vibing here she's very she's very nice to us excited like and you know we're working in brain dance here which is just kind of like her job like that, that's something that she is really skilled in and very passionate about and so like she's just like, excited to be there to talk about this stuff she will get you know we'll get to look into some of the like the skepticism that she has because like she's not you know she's not an ignorant person like she's not naive um mm-hmm. but she is just like after you know all of like the business that we've had to deal with between evelyn dex to have who's just kind of like chill and normal like it sticks out mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. and think one of the coolest things about this is we get just a really good interaction that rewards uh passing a certain skill check which is the engineering Mm
1: -hmm. but being Mm -hmm.
0: able to not just have it be like oh you've opened up a new dialogue path that will give you a different option in this outcome it's just like no if you know stuff about gear you can shoot the shit with judy for Mm -hmm. a little bit about the gear that she's got and again that's another place where i think having the option to do this sort of stuff is really cool and really interesting mm-hmm. um, and, and,
1: and just that's a strong foundation for your hypothetical friendship with her as well because mm-hmm. like I, I added i added as well and like it gets to the point where like y'all are just going on about it for so long and evelyn kind of like has to bring y'all back and be like mm-hmm. hey can we focus on what we're here for
0: very good very good uh evelyn also like does not want judy heavily involved in what is going on she makes it very clear that judy is not part of the crew like judy is just a friend who's going to help you all get what you need out of this brain dance, but is not necessarily like involved in what's going to happen. And that will be important as we get later into the game and maybe the, the consequences of mm. the heist and all that. Um But as we learn, Judy uh works for the box uh and works on brain dances. Uh have brain we, dances. Okay, have we
1: described what those are yet?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna dive into it here. Brain dances or something that they also mentioned when you first go into lizzie's bar uh they bring it up as like oh uh when you find uh when you find a girl you like or when you find someone you like uh you go uh you, you don't go up to them you don't grab them or anything you just go to the counter and point them out in the catalog and then they'll give you a brain dance and then you go into another room and and you do your business there it's essentially vr mm-hmm. like it's it but like incredibly immersive vr the like idea Century is VR. yeah that that you get to live it essentially mm-hmm. uh and you know part of this is okay you know you get to do a brain dance of you know having sex with a really attractive person or you know maybe you get to experience it from all kinds of different angles or in a way that you would not normally get to experience it that sort of thing so there's that aspect of it but as with all things uh brain dances have some darker sides Mm -hmm. uh they're you know as as judy gets us set up uh with a kind of tester brain dance uh this one is of a dude getting killed a dude getting flatlined uh, and it was originally set up as like they were going to record this brain dance of themselves, sh- you know, holding up a a shop and uh, just stealing some cash. And then, as you learn while you do the tutorial brain dance, uh, his 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 friend, his pal, his Chumba, if you will, uh, shoots him for shoots the guy recording the the brain dance for the quote unquote flatline because people will pay a premium. For a genuine death in a brain dance. Uh, so that's, yeah, yeah. Snuff yeah. films also. Yeah. and and various Which, other things that yeah. we are going to learn more about as we get further into this game. But, yeah. um, I will also say, so so two important things to note about brain dances. As we already talked about, uh, they are really. I, I just remembered as I was talking about this, the other brain dance that is that happens as part of the plot. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, really underutilized, which is kind of weird yeah. because they do an entire tutorial about how to use this thing, and then you only do it like two times after this. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it was it's part of the. Very it, it was bizarre. a
1: very significant part of the marketing as well. Like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and again, like as we have mentioned before, like a lot of Cyberpunk's marketing was like leaning into things that maybe were i like didn't either worked completely cut or like did not play a massive role in the game that actually was made and mm-hmm. so because like i remember like you know we were like I, I was covering the game like leading up to launch and i remember watching the one of those night city wires and it felt like they took like a solid like 10 to 15 minutes of a presentation to talk about rain dances and then they were nothing like in the actual game like there's you know we're gonna get a headset from judy at the end of this and every single time and you know the implication there being like oh you can go find brain dances and experience other things and
0: Uh
1: every time that you go to like a store that sells them it all of them say it's not compatible with your software and it's like okay like it's a very strange thing that they lean because like i mean it is like an interesting world building lore like idea but you spend all this time like making the system that the the player can hypothetically do things with and because like you know you can scan through like you know, the visual element of the brain dance or the thermal element or the audio. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's, in- I mean, it's it's not much, but it's, like, it's an interesting There's kind something
0: of... something there, even if what we get is not, at the end of the day, very interesting outside of just, like, searching for the thing in the environment that's lit up and then holding a cursor over it until it scans. And they're like, good job, you found it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it is at the very least, like, a break from the moment to moment of what you've done to this game already. Mm-hmm. and has, And that you will do as the game goes on. And so it, it just feels like a very underutilized thing. And I'm not thrilled with the ways that it it's utilized after this. Like it, it honestly, like the, the oh next no. time, Oh no, the next time that we'll talk, we'll talk about um, in like two episodes or so it's probably like among my least favorite parts of the game, just because mm-hmm. of like the, it feels like, in like the game is reveling in the excess of what it can show off and like trying to per- push like perceive boundaries that it has put up for itself. Um, even if it doesn't really feel like it is adding much. Um, but
0: cruel for cruelty's sake, some might say,
1: yeah, it's, it's a weird thing.
0: Uh, the other thing to note about brain dances is the original version of them, which I did play, uh, had flashing white and red lights that were essentially similar to light patterns that can induce, uh, epilepsy. Mm. (laughs) And, uh, Shout-outs to Game Informer. Uh, there was an article over there that pointed out uh, that thing and eventually resulted in uh, CD Projekt Red updating and changing it. Uh, really wild. And I will tell you that when I played that original section of the game pre-release, uh, because I did get, like, mm. a... Oh God, what was it? Like, a three-day early copy of mm. this back in the day. Um, I remember playing that section... And having to, like, look away from the screen because of how bright and flashing the lights were. Mm-hmm. And I'm not someone who is susceptible to that sort of stuff. And it was a bit much for me. Yeah, uh, I cannot imagine why or how that got through right. rounds and, of testing.
1: Yeah, again, presu- assuming that, like, a lot of these things were, like, there was, like, any forethought put into that. Because, like, by the time that I had gotten it, because, like, I got it really good too, but, like, it was, like, a day before because I, I, want, I wanted the game on console. And so by the time that I got it downloaded, I think it was done. But it would, like, I think the game launched with it still in there. And, like, they had put a uh-huh. they'd put a warning. And, like, the warning for it is even still in the game now. Like, being like, oh, there are sections if you are prone to epilepsy, you know, like, you know, a, a warning at least. But I think that was there when the game first launched. And I think it took, like, a day or two for them to actually, like, just make it, like, a, a flashing white light. Yes. and or it's not even flashing it's just like it's
0: it just kind of glows yeah it's it's which like yeah sure that's that's the way to do it but i'm also looking at that and going i don't know <laughs> how how'd you think of this in the first place it was very very strange yeah. um anyways we we do the tutorial which is not all that interesting and i honestly probably would have skipped it if i remembered all the controls mm. but i didn't remember all the controls like how to switch between layers and stuff so i was like i'll run it again and yeah it's i the one thing i always love about it is the way that the one voice actor delivers the got it got it <laughs> line. <laughs> i don't know why but it reminds me of some of the weird stuck-in-my-head deliveries that happen in Final Fantasy X, like the stay away from the summoner! (laughs) It's the same where, like, a line feels so jarring and out of place that you just can't you you, you can't stop thinking about it. You're just like, got it, got it every time. And they make you listen to it, like, 14 times because they're like, okay, rewind to the beginning. Okay, now hit the R button to reset to the beginning, and every time it's got it, got it, got it, got it. (laughs) it's stuck in my head i just had to get that out now (laughs) put it on record (laughs) um anyways we finally get ready for the actual bd uh and we we call up t-bug who finally gets to exist in this video game (laughs) as as a person again (laughs) you know our our friend t-bug with whom we have embarked on many missions and (laughs) and done so many jobs and gigs with and who is a close friend and ally of v um (laughs) the uh we call up T-Bug, and uh we're like hey we need you to jack in and help us find what we're looking for in this place so we know what we're getting and judy's like oh wait 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 now nobody Mm. said anything about this and we have the option to either interject or let evelyn uh interject i i stepped in and said like hey t-bug you can trust her she's good um I, I wasn't really about like just being the person that's like uh Evelyn yeah you know uh but and,
1: I, and by that point like I mean, it hasn't been a lot but like you have spoken to each other and like a semi yeah. yeah friendly state but like and then that she just straight up was like why because you say so and like that is yeah very much like Judy and you are not friends yet like just because mm-hmm. you have been mm-hmm. nice to each other yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a good little bit of, of dialogue, even if it reminded me that, like, T-Bug barely exists in this video game. Mm. Uh, and then, anyways, Evelyn steps in and is like, hey, don't worry, it's okay. Uh, and we get T-Bug in, and T-Bug says a bunch of stuff about jacking in and doing stuff, and we just get to sit there and watch bars pop up. Um, I really wish... I wish there had been any amount of interest or cool stuff happening with the actual hacking in this game Mm. outside of just lines of code it feels like a massively missed opportunity to not have some sort of representation of ice and bugs Mm. and you know laying traps for opponents in the network and things like that instead like Net running just feels like magic in this world, mm. which feels very opposite to the way that I like cyberpunk approaching uh, technology, which is very analog and very physical and mm-hmm. very corporeal. Like the idea that you were ja- physically jacking into something and having to like manage different uh, inputs and outputs and and messing with stuff. And instead, there's a lot of in the same way that Mass Effect's biotics felt like space magic a lot of the time uh this this was like oh we just have science magic in this mm. world that that people can use yeah. uh so it was kind of a bummer there um anyways we start the bd we see evelyn hanging out in the hotel room uh as she's walking in uh a, a large cyborg man says you look like a cut fuckable meat," and then walks into the elevator and leaves <laughs> <laughs> and okay. every time I see this scene, I'm like, oh, right, this is Cyberpunk
1: 2077. <laughs> mm. This is the one they advertised. This is, uh-huh. like, that, that is a line from the game that they wanted people to think this was.
0: Adam Smasher, baby. First introduction to a major Cyberpunk tabletop character. I, basically talking like a parody of a fantasy orc. <laughs>
1: you know... <laughs> when you put it that way
0: yeah no i mean literally the first time i heard it i was like is that supposed to be thrall from warcraft is what's (laughs) going on here um or maybe like grimash i don't know i'm not gonna get deep into warcraft stuff but um it's anyways v audibly notes oh she felt scared but she got it under control fast. And I think that's one of maybe the only times that V audibly narrates the feelings of Evelyn in the scene as well, which mm-hmm. is also very strange. Re- really weird. Almost like there was more to brain dances at some point. Mm-hmm. But uh, can you imagine solving a mystery in a brain dance? Oh, my God. The game this could have been. <laughs> uh, anyways, um. Uh, we follow Evelyn into the room and your Nobu is talking to a client on the screen. And when we step in uh, your Nobu swaps to his phone and stops talking on the big screen. So apparently a uh, fuckable meat guy is cool to be in the room, but Evelyn is not see how that is. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> We switch the audio layer and we can start listening. And this is where we can kind of start messing with different, oh, see things on the wall, we can scout out the security systems that are in place in this apartment so we have an idea of what we're dealing with, like turrets and uh, motion control cameras and things like that, which really all that amounts to is it's like, you did the optional thing. What do you get for it? And T-Bug's like, yep, we're definitely going to need the flathead.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it like <laughs> it was just... Not, sure. and, not to spoil, <laughs> like, next, next episode is not brought up when you actually get there.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm yeah i was like cool if you're if you're gonna put in something optional like that put a reward for it into Mm -hmm. the one actual reward of this is noticing the special gun that is Mm -hmm. uh, that your nobu has because then you can remember that it's there and then go looking for it during the heist Mm -hmm. to get his super cool gun Mm -hmm. and that's about it uh let a gun yeah it's a good gun i actually i used it for a significant portion of cyberpunk 2077 Mm -hmm. it's pretty pretty all right gun uh anyways we we eventually learned by finding a data pad as evelyn kind of woos yorinobu over to the bedroom uh that this thing has to be kept in a temperature controlled area and we scan various different things in the thermal layer until we find this It's not in the fridge, it's not in the air duct, it's not in the champagne ice bucket, it's in the super secret locked compartment under the ground that Mm. we can detect, because we can detect there's a thermal difference there, and I was also just kind of like, okay, so, it wasn't cool, like, we... Oh, maybe it's in the duct, and, and maybe we got to kind of visualize or find a way that like sound echoes off that we could hear something in there. And they're like, no, just because you had thermal on, you detected that there was a secret compartment in the apartment. Good job. <sighs> Ken. Mm. <laughs> All the ways in which this game could have been mm-hmm. better. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Uh, we we now know everything we need to know. When we get out of the brain dance, and Judy's like, "Yo, don't worry, I'll wipe the cache. I'll I was using incognito mode, <laughs> wipe the browser history, turn the VPN on. Nobody'll know. All right, nobody'll know. How would they know? How would they know?" <laughs> um, she also gives you the BD headset, you know, because you're definitely going to need yep. that in the future. Uh, Like, the next the
1: next time I'm going to have to use a BD headset, is going to be with you, Judy, so I'll just use yours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just
0: just leave it here. Also, you, like, put it in your pocket, but it's, like, very clear that it doesn't bend in any way that would, like, fit where you put it, so it looks really awkward. It, <laughs> it looks like you kind of slid this tiara down the back of your pants, and... I just don't know what to do with that information. (laughs) (laughs) I just do not know what to do. Mm. This is the weirdest Princess Diaries adaptation I've ever
1: seen. (laughs) But, uh, uh, anyway, we, we get up and, uh. (laughs) Kelly Clarkson's breakaway play is The Exit Night City. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, the oh. limo
0: pulls up with the concierge butler and he's like I've, i'm here for you i <laughs> will take you to the ball now
1: <laughs> oh god beast spreads oh. their wings and learn how to fly <laughs> hey that song fucking whips
0: no that, that that song actually is very good look the princess diaries is a good movie we should do a series mm-hmm. of normandy fm where we just talk about the princess diaries <laughs> uh there were like sequels to that weren't there there,
1: there was were, one there other
0: there was one yeah where she actually goes to Genovia or mm-hmm. whatever. And have to find uh, a king. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, that makes sense. <sighs> Anyways. <laughs> not to derail uh, the Cyberpunk podcast. Not to completely derail the Cyberpunk. This is going to happen a lot in the Cyberpunk podcast. Uh, as we're leaving, Judy is like, hey, Evelyn, like, be careful. Um, you know, don't play this fast and loose. You know, don't mess around with something that you might you might not be able to to fix and I, I thought that was a nice little touch you know judy is not dumb judy knows that there's a heist underway and, and judy is not involved but judy is also clearly concerned about evelyn and that establishes that very well uh and then we we head out and you know we talk a little bit about your nobu and you know do we expect that your new your nobu will figure out that it's you and Evelyn's like nah and then evelyn's like hey by the way let's just cut decks out of the deal and you kind of get the idea, like, okay, that's that's also probably why she wanted to meet in person, mm. is that she doesn't, you know, one less mouth to feed, mm. you know, one less hand at the table. And uh, I'm very insistent that, like, hey, look, number one, you don't screw over a fixer. Number two, you don't screw over Dexter Deshaun. Mm-hmm. Number three, like, if I do that, how am I ever supposed to work with another fixer of the city again? Um fun fact uh she's like well i hope you're as good at your job as you are naive and then leaves uh you you can later like if you kind of talk about it and bring it up i think you can bring it up to dex to yeah. is that in the next mission Actually, yeah, yeah. it's, it's in the actual next yeah. mission yeah, yeah
1: yeah yeah if you chose to, uh, like i i mean i i said here like i was like i'm not gonna throw over dex you know Like, and I think that felt grounded to me in, like, being a street Mm -hmm. kid of, like, Mm -hmm. having done this for a long time or, like, been around it enough where Evelyn might be, to some degree, like, detached from, like, Merc life in in Night City and might not understand why that's, like, a fucking cardinal sin to fuck over a fixer. Because, like, Mm -hmm. they're basically, like, the one, like, line of defense that Mercs have to, like, vet the job that they're doing and, you know... I, they serve, like, a very pivotal role in that job. And that's, you know, even just, like, through talking to Dex, that's the kind of the sense we get. And we'll we'll talk to you even more of them as the game goes on. And, um, yeah, so I just... I, I, for all her talking about, like, I oh, hope you're as good at your job as you are naive. And, and I was like, ah, here's a mirror for you.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... I weirdly feel like they set up Evelyn to have this like level of hubris in -hmm. a way Mm -hmm. that I don't know quite how to square because I think it's, it almost feels like, Oh, you were the one who was naive and like Evelyn's going to get her comeuppance about it. But then when the thing actually happens and Evelyn, like there are consequences for Evelyn from this heist, uh,
1: the they punishment don't does not feel fucking grime. they
0: they don't they don't feel equivalent and they don't feel like poetic justice they right. just feel cruel so right. yeah, absolutely. yeah and we'll, we'll talk more about that later but that was this was already sitting weird with me here where i was like uh mm. i i i can understand the desire to want to have this like air of uncertainty where your client is very clearly like not as well learned in, in doing crime is mm. not a, a crime professional uh, and this is supposed to give you a sense of unease about the the heist in general like there's very much supposed to be an air of oh it's a million to one shop and if we pull it off we'll be legends and mm. that's supposed to be both exciting and uneasing but it does really feel like it sets up a come up in, in, in a way that again just ends up feeling very Cruel mm. later on. I, I cannot use a different word. No, I mean it. It's, just feels it's cruel. the most appropriate word um, for what happens. Yeah, oh, yeah. Anyways, put a pin in that. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, anyways, yeah. We we, we now have info. I, what we what we got out of this was good. We got the client reassured. We got the layout of Compeki Plaza, and. We we now basically know for certain we do need the flathead to do this job. So and we got go to meet Judy. flathead. And we got to meet Judy. That was also very important. Uh, I like that Judy gets introduced this early mm-hmm. because again, Judy yep. is a very strong character. Uh, she was in pretty much every marketing material.
1: Right. She like between like you know the four romanceable options in this game. She's the one that feels like she's given the most time, I guess, to be mm-hmm. like part of V's life in some capacity. Cause like even after, you know, after this, we're going to have her on for like a series of main plot missions. And then she's going to have her own, like, her own set of missions. And so mm-hmm. I feel like they, they, I really appreciate that. They gave a lot of, you know, a, t- a lot of time to Judy specifically. Cause I don't, I don't think that that can be said for everybody else.
0: And then, and then a bunch of people were like, I'm mad. I can't romance Judy. Cause I'm a, I'm a male V. So I'm going to mob this game. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, let's do the pickup the maelstrom stuff so we have essentially dex has already paid for a flathead bot that was stolen off a miltech convoy by the maelstrom this gang uh of who we will later learn are they're basically like cyborgs they they're obsessed with replacing all of Mm. their organic parts with machine okay also again very good idea for a gang very good idea for like a faction if you will in in this world I, I think it's a it's a cool concept uh, and and visually very striking they are like, thats they the are
1: unnerving thing. to look at in yes. a way that nothing else in this game is because like I, and I mentioned this even like when we were talking about you know the character customization like these cybernetics you know they can be very apparent on like their face but like they always kind of have to look like a person like mm-hmm. I, like I feel like that's like, a very deliberate choice in like how much the game lets you like how far the game will let you go in terms of your customization. It feels like there's that's, like a very concrete divide between what V can look like and what the maelstrom look like. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that is something that has always been interesting. to me Is like what it's trying to kind of like convey it's like how much of yourself can you give up to the machine and still be human? I guess. I, I mean like, do they, do they even want to be human? Right. Why, like, I mean the
0: maelstrom don't want to be human. They, they want to be something different. And it it really does highlight that ship of Theseus sort of thing, right? Like, Mm. you know, how much, as as you give away more and more, what are you at the end of the day? Mm. And, you know, that's like a core tenant of transhumanism and, you know, the concept of, we even talked about it with Legion and does this unit have a soul Mm. and ED and, and, you know, that is a a core tenant of, I think if you deal with any sort of artificial life in in a sci-fi setting, you have to address that at some point. I do feel like the maelstrom are an interesting way to provide some color and some flavor to that. Um, the the other thing I was going to note uh, about the box that I forgot was that you see like one of the the bouncers with the baseball bat has like a robotic prosthetic arm, and and that was pretty cool. And I think that there's a lot of really interesting stuff that cyberpunk visually uh, deals with in terms of how people have cybernetics and what those cybernetics are for. Are they functional are they utility are they weaponized like there's there's interesting visual flavor going on in a lot of these areas that i really do like um even though it does not feel like they're always called attention to
1: mm-hmm. um, i think that i mean i don't think it always needs to be like a plot beat that they talk about oh, oh, like, I, I mean that
0: as far as to my knowledge unless there's a side quest that i have not seen i they don't, like, dive into that topic headfirst. It's just kind of a visual flavor. It, it is a yeah. thing that is a part of this world.
1: Yeah. And, and I think, yeah. that, like, depending on, you know, which character you're talking about, like, I think there's something interesting about, like, almost, like, the stories that you can kind of envision based on where you're seeing people, like, you know, have cybernetic stuff that, you know, we'll talk about as we go on, because, like, are some characters that I, th- like, look at, like, that is interesting to me. Like, for example, like, Carrie later in this game, is an 80-something-year-old man who has a rocker career, but, like, he has cybernetics, like, on his throat. Like, so you can mm-hmm. imagine, at some point, that that, like, became an issue that he had to address as he aged. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's just kind of, you know, like like I said, it's not even something that the game often actively talks about, but it's just, like, something that you can envision based on uh-huh. actual, like, character design.
0: Yeah, whereas like V has various cybernetics and prosthetics, but they're all very utilitarian, you know, having better eyesight mm-hmm. um, to, to the point that you have to wonder if that is just a very common surgery to have done mm-hmm. in Night City is to rather than do you see anyone wearing glasses in this game?
1: Uh, there are a couple. I, not, I know. Are there? Yeah, I, I, I only I, think of one that we have not that is the main character that we will get to. yeah. Hear.
0: I want to, I want to go looking for that now. Cause that's just something that I would not really thought about. And I was like, Oh, huh. I wonder if that, yeah. I mean that,
1: that is interesting in and of itself that somebody would like choose to have glasses instead of the, all these various things that people already do in this game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's, I, I bring it up because not to play the comparison game, but, uh, one of my favorite under like character beats in ghost in the shell is that there's it, ghost in the shell, like, you know, back page description is it it's about a cybersecurity division in a futuristic world uh and all of the members are equipped for various levels of cybersecurity. there's a guy who has had his eyes replaced so he can see super well and and manage in different light situations through smoke and things like that they pretty much all have cloaking devices uh the the leader uh uh, oh, i always get it wrong i always want to call her makoto but it's modico or something I, I always get it wrong um uh, modico uh her entire body is artificial she mm. is literally a ghost in the machine uh she does not have a corporeal body anymore um but one of the guys uh Togusa, is very big on not having cybernetics and mm-hmm. they always give him shit about it and they're like oh he he carries around an old school manual revolver as his sidearm and he's he's actually one of the best sharpshooters on the team but he has to practice constantly to maintain his ability to do that stuff and they they give him shit about it and they're like oh if you just got implants like you wouldn't even have to practice anymore you'd never have to be down here in the firing range and he's like yeah, but it's important to me to have this To mm. It is a ritual to me. And, and that's like, that's, that's a cool beat. That's mm-hmm. a good beat in this world, in a cyberpunk world. Yeah. Just say it. Uh, anyways, <laughs> let's talk about the maelstrom. Uh, so we're supposed to make this deal for the flathead. We're supposed to to pick it up from the maelstrom. Only problem is there's recently been a uh, change in power, a change in leadership at the maelstrom, and uh we're not sure if the new leader is going to uphold the bargain that we made with the old leader. Uh so we have a few ways of going about this. Uh we can we we can essentially uh decide to go in there with our own money and buy it. We can demand that they respect the payments and see what happens <laughs> or there is a miltech agent that is on the hunt for what has happened to this convoy and we can try striking a deal with them. Um, I personally did the Meredith, uh, the, the strike a deal line. Uh, what did you do? Ken? Uh,
1: I, so the, the first time I played through it, I went to go talk to Meredith stout because I was trying to just like see every aspect Mm -hmm. of this quest Mm -hmm. And, like, now that I'm, you know, coming around the second time, why the fuck would I trust a fucking Corpo to mm-hmm. help me with any of this shit? So I didn't even go meet her this time. And uh, so, like, honestly, like, the entire, like, Militech, like, sub of all of this was just completely absent for me. Um, mm-hmm. Which was, you know, interesting. And, like, you know, there's even a point later where we go through it and Jackie's like, oh, I'm glad that we got through the whole Corpo bullshit. But not doing that actually kind of worked out my favor in one way because... When I did it the last time, and I, well, I was playing a street kid, I didn't have the option to remove the uh, the virus off of the credit shit that they gave us. And so when I used it, uh, the maelstrom guys were like, hey, what the fuck is this? It's got this virus on it. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. because of like the order of operations of that, I ended up having to do a boss fight at the end that I actually didn't have to do yeah. this time because when it got to the point where they were demanding payment, again, uh, you know... Jackie and I, like, had our guns on them. And you get an option, like, you get an interrupt to just shoot uh, the boss in the head. Yeah, yeah. And thus, I still had to, like, fight my way through it. But... But you didn't have that final... I didn't have that final boss fight, which I remember actually having, like, a lot of trouble with my first playthrough. So that was... That was nice. That was uh, a nice um, kind of permutation of something that was mostly similar to what I did last time. But having seen the breadth of this quest and you know, thinking about like what actually made sense for me as a three kid V to do. I instead had to do that and it was actually a fairly breezy uh quest for me, uh, in that way because by this point I had, you know, really invested in all of my hacking abilities so they were, like ping and like figure out where everybody is and navigate up through places uh, with a little more uh a little more planning and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not have to deal with that giant fight at the end that is decidedly not um uh pleasant to do if you have no. a stealth
0: build. No, it feels like a Deus Ex boss fight in the yep. worst ways. Uh you know, if you've been playing Deus Ex and you're like, Oh, I've been stealth the whole time and it's like, Nope, you gotta fight this boss before they added the patches in that that fix that. It's the same way where it's like, Oh, no, you you just gotta fight I actually think you might be able to sneak out of there. But yeah. I think every time I tried it, it just did not feel great, and I just fought the boss instead. Because um, I had always done that route, which was uh, fight the Maelstrom and work with uh, Miltech. Mm. Uh, this time was the first time I had ever done the remove virus from the shard thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which, let me tell you, as Ken can attest, was not easy to figure out how to do because the game really does not tell you how to do it. Mm -hmm. And I do not remember this being a thing for pretty much any other point in the game. Yeah. Uh, And accessing the menu was a nightmare and just very not great.
1: We had to look up guides for it.
0: Yeah. We had to look up multiple guides for it and then figured out that not only were we, like looking for a thing, but there were multiple places where we could have been looking for a thing, and we had to find the correct one, the correct journal one to hover over because there were multiple journal tabs we could have looked at.
1: And I um, think to some degree, and this, this might be just my memory like playing tricks on me, I think some of like the the complexity of that has been due to UI updates as the game has been out. Because I don't remember if some of those op like some of the ways that the menu can be laid out depending on which screen you're on. I think some of that has been added since the game launched and so it would have, there would have been only one option for us to look at like two years ago but uh mm-hmm. since all those updates have been made to like, kind of like streamline the act of like going from one menu to the other uh i think it has you know created a, a certain barrier that people have to overcome that they might not even realize is a thing because of how things yeah, are laid out now
0: no. it's not great not great anyways i did that um and so I did meet up with Meredith. Uh, I have a, when I did my original run. I actually not only did the one where you work with miltech but you uh, I also hooked up with Meredith later, uh, oh. <laughs> just just to see what that was like. And it's it's really silly. It's one off, but I kind of wish there were more of those in the game. Yeah. Because like, oddly enough, that's a thing they do in The Witcher. Like that's actually a major component of The Witcher. Is that like yes, there are romance like like hard romance options for Geralt, but there's also just flings Mm -hmm. you can have and I think that again we're talking about just decisions you can make that don't massively affect the ending of a game but do inform your character and Mm -hmm. so like deciding to just have a fling with this character that is probably going to betray you and that you definitely think is going to betray you like that's a role-playing moment Mm -hmm. um yeah is is to do that sort of thing and so I do wish there was more of that in this game and you know, they, they had you know, the Witcher has had good and bad implementations of sex, let's say. Um, I think the Witcher Three Wild Hunt has really good implementations of it. I think The Witcher One, where it was basically trading cards, uh, has really bad implementation of it. Mm-hmm. But it was something they dealt with and that was another thing that really feels lost by the wayside in, in Cyberpunk, especially because it is such a sexualized world, mm-hmm. but surprisingly yeah. Not, not a lot of options. Yeah, uh, especially I mean, like, if you are looking to maybe do do the 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 funky dance with with a male character.
1: Yeah, because like they've got as a male character. Yeah, because they've got sex workers in this game, which you can go see, and mm-hmm. that's that's fine. This is something, and but like in terms of like these actual kind of like side hookups that aren't you know they aren't the official relationships, but there's only one, and that just feels odd for all the reasons all the reasons you said. Just kind of like. For a game that is as sexed up as this is, uh, for better or worse. That that was the only time that they did one of those. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, maybe there'll be more in the, the DLC that's coming.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. The, the DLC. I wonder if that DLC is going to be out by the time that we're like, late, like if we will have to mm-hmm. cover that DLC as part of this podcast. I'm just now thinking about that. I mean,
1: that, maybe but... we'll we, we could like come back and do an episode.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean... Could, i'll could play it be i'm better. gonna play it like yeah i mean look if i'm gonna play this entire game again i might as well play the dlc too like <laughs> in for in for a penny and for a pound but um it's I, having done both variations of the miltech line i actually do like that version um i actually like the version where you betray meredith a fair bit because it ends up making it so this character who if you had worked with Meredith basically dies off screen and uh, Meredith just like coldly kills him because she's like, Oh yeah, I didn't care that whether he was the mole or not. I'm just getting rid of one more loose mm. thread. Whereas like here, he like gets his comeuppance and he's like, ha ah, Meredith is dead. got her. Mm. <laughs> and it is very, it is very like a corpo type storyline. Right. So it felt very good for my v to do. Um, yep. And there were a lot of good corpo lines in it. Um, but I will say that, like, yeah, the combat out of there, like, dealing with all that stuff afterwards was so... uh, Just nothing. Just... Mm. I I don't know. I'm not at the point yet where I think anything interesting is happening in the combat of Cyberpunk, Mm. and I know that there are situations later, like, there are very specific missions in this game where I think there's cool combat happening, Mm -hmm. and, and interesting puzzles for the player to solve. I just don't think that we're we're here yet but i do think it's weird that this is one of the areas they open up with because i don't think it's a particularly interesting combat the series of combat yeah. arenas that you end up in so
1: yeah I, I did at least like it as an example of that because like i don't think there really are a lot of times where there are like these giant diverging paths or not even giant diverging paths, but like there are diverging paths and some of them are locked behind your origin story like that it's at least, this mission is at least an example of that in a time when I think the game does it really well because, like, I, having played it only a three kid, only, only found out about that other option through looking at guides. And, like, because that, that would have not even been a thing that occurred to my character. thus something I never saw. Because, like I always wondered, like, is there a way to get out of this, like, you know... I mean, you, you have to do combat with one faction or the other by the time that you do it. But, like, you at least, like, had a demonstrably different outcome by the end. And that mm-hmm. was impressive to me, and something that I hope we find more of as the game goes on. I don't like. Mm-hmm. Di- I distinctly don't remember a lot of instances of that beyond, like, say, the very final mission, which isn't even, which isn't even necessarily like you know locked off by life. That's what it is locked out by having done certain side quests and, right, um, you know, you now coming coming back to it with like a, 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 how, a how do you want to handle this? Like, it, not even. Uh, I think it's important that a lot of that isn't necessarily blocked off by life paths because that is going to be a very fundamentally changing thing for your character Mm -hmm. and other characters involved. And so I think it's good that that is not necessarily blocked off by any one thing and is sort of uh, gives you the freedom to decide the future of things based on things that you have done more so than things that you were 30 hours of gameplay ago. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, well, we've got our flathead... We've got our info on Combecky Plaza. You think we're about ready to pull off a heist?
1: I'm sure nothing will go wrong. Nothing could
0: go wrong. Nope. Anyways, we, Jackie, uh, on on his motorcycle is like, Hey, you know, we'll go meet up with Dex, we'll we'll get everything put together. What could go wrong? How could it be bad? Uh, we're gonna meet up in afterlife and finally get off working on this heist that we're gonna pull. That'll be next episode we're done now for, for this episode as always we are norm dfm a retrospective podcast currently covering cyberpunk 2077 but in the past we have covered series like mass effect dragon age jade empire the last of us and final fantasy 10 uh if you enjoy what we're doing if you enjoy the the stuff that we're we're making and producing for you you can head on over to patreon.com slash and and go contribute there any amount gets you into the backer discord the the middle tier will get you these episodes as soon as ken is done editing them and because we're recording fairly ahead of schedule uh i mean you could be listening to this right now whereas the free feed is is only currently getting the the end of our ten two season but you could be listening to cyberpunk so much earlier if you're on (laughs) (laughs) and at at the highest level you do get shouted out every episode on the podcast and this week that list is mercedes clewis meredith micah mante shane erickson and darius pippins thank you all so much for contributing helping us do what we do every single day episode i keep almost saying week i'm so still not used to it's been like a year record. It's, it's been it's been a year but you know i got into a rhythm and that was the thing mm-hmm. ken i got into a workflow and it disrupted for for good i think for the good of the show mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it was still disrupted uh and you know if you don't got patreon cash that's cool that's it's it's basically a tip jar for us don't worry too much about it uh, you can head on over to twitter.com slash show to keep up with all of our episodes as well as the various things that ken and i do in our day job and follow all the excellent uh guests that we have on the show and you know if you want to leave a review head over to your podcast podcatcher almost said podcaster yeah please tell podcasters about us <laughs> <laughs> head over to your podcatcher of choice and leave a five-star review only five stars though ken will get mad if you do uh anything <laughs> lower than five stars that's that's just the rule uh that's just how it works so don't make ken mad leave <laughs> leave good reviews only uh but we will see you next time for what will finally be one of our first guest episodes of normandy fm talking about the heist what
1: could go wrong absolutely nothing we're, we're experts we're gonna pull us off of edge <laughs>